I'm David. <laughs> hello, I'm Emily. What? I didn't say it like that. That's how it I just said hello. You went, hello. I don't think I had anything close to hello, that accent. Kids. Okay, no, you're just out here trying to roast somebody. Nothing like that happened. I just said hello. That's how people, what? No, I said hello they very have, normally. They have the 15 seconds back button. They can tell. Yeah, we'll find out. Okay, anyway. Yeah. Well, hello, and welcome to Care for Free. I'm David. I'm Emily. And our guest producer this week... Oh, it's it's no one. Oh, I should have. Okay. Our good friend, no one. We wanted it to be Zach Daniel, but he went to a movie instead. Yeah, he, he bailed on us for a movie. I mean, he had the movie plans before we asked him to come on, but... Yeah, also, when are you going to shame someone for deciding to go see a movie? Uh, I'm going to shame him for seeing this one. Well, <laughs> anyway... <laughs> no, no. this is I'm no spoilers. It's Infinity War. I am not shaming him for seeing it. I'm not shaming anyone for seeing it. I've seen it twice. I just You're simultaneously very mad and not mad, but also mad. Yeah. And that's yes. not a spoiler cuz I'm I feel that way about everything. Yeah, that's true. How are you doing this week? Uh, you know, not bad. Well, oh, oh, I should have said actually to welcome everyone to a special final season edition of Care for Free and uh to apologize in advance oh. if either of our brains are loopy. Law school finals. I thought you were saying final season. I thought you were like, this is it for Care for Free. And I'm telling you now, I'm like, we're done. No, no, no. I was just saying this finals. We're in finals. Yes. And our brains have switched into that mode where, which each passing day, we move closer and closer towards just becoming, you know, yeah. consistently loopy and nonsensical. And so, frankly, it's probably good for us to record this on the earlier half of that before we get yeah. to the second half where we're just, you know seeing red-winged blackbirds flying through our brains all the time. Yeah, which... we looked up those bird calls last week. Uh, yeah, that's They true. sound like elks. Mm-hmm, yeah. Attractive. Oh, I saw something that, like, led with an elk call. And I was like, that's elks! I know that! Did you? Yeah, Wait, I don't what, remember. It was led... like... what thing would you just randomly be saying that led with an elk okay, call? Okay, no, this is a thing. You know when it's setting the scene and it's, like, a mountainous area, and then in the back there'll just be, like, a faint elk call, and, like, birds chirping. Yeah, like, no, like, you right, you right, yeah. you right. David, what's a thing that you care about more than you care about finals right now? Because those things always tend to surface during final season. A thing that I currently care about more than I care about finals. Well, I will answer that, but only after you tell me how you're doing this week. We didn't get to that. Oh, I'm great. What? That's insufficient. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm living the dream. I'm almost done with law school. I yeah. can take that. Um, a thing that I currently care about more than finals, specifically more than finals. <laughs> Yeah, that's a number of things. Actually, right now, I've been, like, obsessed with trying to decide when I need to go get my car registered because my license... No, check So, my license... I, my license expires on my birthday, yeah, this is which gripping. is in June. Yeah. No, I mean, it's the honest answer. This is what happens during finals where you suddenly really care about things that you aren't supposed to care about. That's true. My license expires in June, so I have to get a new license before that. And then because this is Texas, before you can get a new license, you have to register your car. And before you register your car, you have to get your car inspected. So, I've been slightly obsessed with figuring out all those details. Wow, also, it's yeah. almost like Texas makes things harder by putting a bunch of processes in. Yeah. Imagine well, trying to vote for the first time in Texas. I mean, yeah. If it's anywhere near as difficult as this, it's pretty. Um, yeah. Can be a uh, pretty discouraging. And that's our sneak segment, Emily's soapbox. Um, <laughs> that's ridiculous. You never know when that's gonna come up. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. The soapbox is always lurking. Yeah. Look at this. It's a cup of water. It's a cup of what? Water. And what am I doing with it? You're drinking it. Drinking water. I don't think I get it. I felt really... You drinking water! You don't drink water! <laughs> I'm drinking water! Whoa! I'm so proud of you! Is this what? A real, this is a genuine reaction. Yeah, it is! It took yeah. me a second to realize what's going on. I was like, yeah, everybody drinks water. Wait! <laughs> I know one person who doesn't drink water, and it's Emily E.B. <laughs> and she's drinking water right now! Yeah, it's terrible. Well, it's terrible that you don't drink water, or water's terrible. Water's terrible. I mean, it's not terrible. At most, it is nothing. Like, I disagree. Like, no you one ever think water's neutral, and I don't. Water is distinctly neutral. I think that water... The only way that water is not neutral is if you are constantly thinking about what other things you could be drinking instead of water. Like, if you drink water and your thought is, you know what tastes good? Coke. Then water tastes bad because yeah. it doesn't taste like Coke. Mm, but if you're Pepper. just Dr. Pepper, right. But if you're drinking water and you're just like, I'm drinking water, you just you just drink the water. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like pickle juice where you drink the pickle juice and you're like, this is disgusting, regardless of whether you're thinking about it or not. <gasps> I love that. Yeah, like that's nasty. You know, I'm, I would never be more oh, yeah. so upset. So yeah, I, I mean, have I'm, you ever drank pickle juice? One time on accident. Oh, uh, what do you think it was? I don't even remember, but I definitely did not think it was pickle juice. I think it's the closest I've ever been to just immediately vomiting, and I, I had to like physically fight the urge, and it was, whoo, man, 
Pickles are already nasty, but when someone surprises you with pickles, bad. This is interesting. You were talking earlier today about trying to like pickles. Like you're mm-hmm. on like a program of like, this trying to make yourself like pickles. This is true. I don't think that I have ever tried to make myself like something that I did not like. Really? Food-wise. Uh, uh, I started uh-huh. liking coffee because I worked at a coffee shop right before I went to law school, and I was like, I'm going to need coffee in law school, which is true. <laughs> and so I like was working at the coffee shop and like tasting different coffee drinks and uh-huh. did the like the sweet ones and kind of worked myself up to the very, very sweetened black coffee. Also probably made the job a little more fun. Oh, this is a thing that I can do while I'm doing this. The later. first day my boss was teaching me how to make all these different drinks and he was like explaining the difference between espresso that's been sitting there for more than five seconds mm-hmm. and the espresso which you... It's a real difference. You're rolling your eyes, but it's real. I didn't no, I didn't yeah. even want to roll my eyes there. It just kind of happened. When Keep you going. pull a shot of espresso, it's like this sweet coconutty looking color, and then it turns almost black if you let it sit there without hitting it with water or milk or something. But he was like, "Taste this," and then taste this, so I could tell the difference between the two espressos. Mm-hmm. And I was the most hyper, insane, jittery person the first day of work because I'd never had coffee, and then I had like four shots of espresso <laughs> yeah. right in a row. And I was like, oh, teach me how to do the register. I like all these buttons. What's this one do? What's this one do? It was like a cartoon squirrel. You're like doing push-ups in the break room. Oh, no. That's not how my hyperactivity manifests itself. I still remember the one time. Because, I mean, you know, I don't drink coffee, like, hardly at all. It's yeah. just, I usually don't need it. There was one time where, you know, there was free coffee at school because that happens all the time. Yeah. And I filled it up because it was one of those days where I've been up really late the night before. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. Today, I'm just going to have some coffee. And then I took it to class and then got distracted talking to probably Jory, if I had to be honest. And then oh, yeah. in the course of talking, I just like, again, because I drink everything quickly, I just ended up downing the coffee really fast. Yeah. And so the for the next, I would say like 40 minutes of class, it was like, ooh, I could see the words the professor was saying. <laughs> You could hear colors. Yeah. I was like, they were moving too quickly. The The words were moving too quickly past my face for me to hear them. You know, I, I try to be careful with coffee. And I think if I had four shots of espresso, I would definitely be just like doing push-ups like on the wall. I don't oh, know. Yeah. Oh, what am I caring about this week instead of finals? Thanks for asking. I was drinking it's... water. Oh, I do that now. <laughs> I'm really so excited. This is good for you. I slammed a 12-pack of Dr. Pepper in like three days. Whew, that's okay. It happens. I made them <laughs> promise to myself that when I was done with that Dr. Pepper pack, I would quit for a while and drink water. I'm okay. going to cut this out of the podcast because I don't want to be held to it. Uh, You had better not cut out of the podcast that you just agreed to cut out Dr. Water Pepper for a and while. coffee. Yeah. Uh, at my house. I will still have like a soda when I go out. Okay, but, sure. But like at my house. Okay. This is where the danger zone. Yeah, no, actually, danger I mean, zone. yeah, I think that I think that's a fair step. That's okay. a good place to start. So, what you're caring about instead of finals? Oh, how dare you! <laughs> Honestly, how dare you! I couldn't decide. <laughs> I'm so mad. I watched a favorite episode of TV today, and I read like 200 pages of a book for fun, so what I show? couldn't decide which one. I was. So, it is a favorite episode of a show that I largely hate. Oh, okay. Black Mirror uh-huh. is not for That's me. That's true. You're and not I, in... it has so many actors I love, and they do get to do like really interesting concepts. But on the whole, I hate it. There's mm-hmm. a, I think it's Mallory Ortberg at the Toast was right, like pitching Black Mirror episodes, and she said there was one episode she pitched that was just what if phones but too much. And that's how I feel about every Black Mirror episode. It's like, oh, technology is so scary. No, you know what's scary? People. People are scary. Yeah. And this is a podcast where you've been startled by Alexa. Yeah, I don't think I should week, watch so. Black Mirror. Why'd you no. say? I don't. Uh... She didn't hear me. I hope not. Um, um, the episode of Black Mirror is called Hang the DJ. Mm-hmm. Black Mirror should about this. only do romance episodes. It is breathtaking uh, and beautiful. Of course it's a romance Hang the episode. DJ and San Junipero are both absolutely beautiful. Um, okay, last week you got mad at me for just putting letters in order that you just said San Junipero. It's a place. Oh, okay. I would never get mad at you for putting letters in order. You just did. What? Like a week ago. I don't think that's right. Okay. It we definitely... Have, we have tape. I don't think we do. We do. Run we the tape. tape. And I started reading a book called... Run the tape, listeners. Started reading a book called... <laughs> The Hate You Give, which I'm sure everyone has recommended 400 times, but it's really good, and I will probably finish all 500 pages of it by tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. I have an exam on Saturday. It is currently Wednesday when we're recording. Oh my goodness, you totally have an exam on Saturday. Yeah. Forgot about that. That's yeah. okay. 
Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, we'll help you out. Thanks. You're drinking water now. <laughs> Sky's the limit. I'm saying I'm that. drinking water. I can pass an exam. How bad would you be if, like, you just started drinking water and suddenly you're, like, ace things? Can you imagine a more frustrating thing than finding out that the secret to law school was drinking water? If I... I would be furious at this point. Furious, right? If I ace the exam this week, I will not thank water. It will not be because of water. This is That's so stupid. It's incredibly hypothetical. I'm just, you know, just bring it. It'd be hilarious. No, he's drinking his water just to show off. I bet there's liquor in there. I'm showing off by drinking water? I think you don't understand how much I hate water. <laughs> <laughs> this may be true. Yeah. This may be true. <laughs> right. <laughs> so giggly yeah man there's a lot of there's a lot in life to be happy about you know i think i'm gonna get a pet raccoon what no you're not they're so cute no i follow one on instagram named pumpkin i'm one i'm not sure it's legal two no they're so creepy creepy the hands Mm-mm. i'm sorry i have Mm-mm. hands what? do you yes. think i'm creepy no guess That's what discrimination guess what? you also aren't a raccoon what no i feel like my soul is I'm, I a don't. Little bit. What? Uh, but I don't or even a possum. That. I would love a pet possum. <laughs> Possums are the best. No, they're awful. What? I Who love... are you? Possums are great. Possums Why are you are... interested? Okay. Why are you so interested in giant rats with like actual with hands? I'm so confused. My trash babies. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think you said it all right there. Mm, they're digging so through cute. the garbage. No, I don't even know what that means. I'm just gonna. It's a new girl reference. Wait, I've seen that show. Yeah, it's when Winston's, like, talking about an interesting dream about Jess, where she had raccoon hands. And they're like, submit's like, tell me more about these raccoon hands when she leaves. And Winston's like, they were digging through the garbage. I remember Mm. now. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's a good one. Man, he's so weird. It's a great show. They really let Winston... Flourish flourish. is the word. Winston flourishes now. There were, like, I feel like a couple years ago, there were a bunch of articles that were like, nobody knows what to do with Winston. And now it's just, let him be. Yes. Let let Winston be Winston, and everybody else going to figure it out around. Yep. Good old Winston. I think it's great. Winston Jessup? Who's Jessup? Is there someone whose last name is Jessup on the show? Who's Jessup? Avery Jessup. Avery Jessup. That must be who I'm thinking about mixing up TV shows. Winston Duke. No, it's not Winston Duke. Winston Duke is Mbaku. Mbaku. Come with me. (laughs) We are vegetarians. (laughs) I'm kidding. We are vegetarians. Oh, he's so good. (laughs) So good. He's the only vegetarian I would date. Hot takes? What? And then she sips the water to just, like, mask the hot take of the hot take. Is water vegetarian? Yes. What? Is water vegetarian? Just, just thought I'd try to throw you off. David's polishing his glasses. Anytime a person puts on glasses, they go up, like, two attractiveness points for me. Like, when people are like, mm, that guy's a, a 10. I'm like, mm, not until he puts on glasses. He's an 8 until yeah. he puts on glasses. Yeah, you're very pro-glasses. I don't I know if I know anybody else who's as pro-glasses glasses. as you are. It's yeah. like... It's like putting vulnerability on, like, an item of clothing, and I am so into it. You know, that actually sounds about right. Yeah. I think, I think that describes it very well. All right. Totally... I think I went first last week. Is that correct? I do believe that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so my it's... turn to go first. Yeah. You um... are way more planned this week, so... All right. Turn up. Let's do this. <laughs> but my statement for you this week, there's a statue of a union general outside the Massachusetts State Legislative House. Do you care about that? Union general? Union general. Okay, I think I care about it. Massachusetts State House? Yeah, in Boston. This isn't that guy you were you had the tweet about, is it? No, okay. it is not. He'll come up some other day, I'm sure. Okay, George McClellan? Not George McClellan, no. I care no. 20% about this. Why do you care 20%? What's the 20%? That Massachusetts is nice. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so you care about the word Massachusetts there. Yeah, Massachusetts I, I went nice. once and I liked it. Okay. Let's let's jump into it then. The general in question is uh, General Joseph Hooker. Nice. And so General Joseph has a... General, general Hooker nice. has a statue outside the Massachusetts State House. He was born in Hadley, Massachusetts and was the grandson of a captain in the American Revolutionary War, which I think is why he has a statue outside the Massachusetts State House. So I should say that the reason why this ever even became... I ever became aware of this is the last time that I was up in Massachusetts, in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just sort of just walking through the city, roaming around, and we happened... Not, not even intentionally, just happened upon the Massachusetts State House. And like I said, the statue is out front. Yeah. And we walk past the statue, and I'm like, because it's the kind of person I am, I'm like, 
oh, it's a statue of someone. Or it's probably a general. Like, I wonder who it is. I should go check on that. Did um, you check how many horse hooves were up? Do you know this? No, tell me. About horse hooves and statues? Tell me. There's a code. When there's a statue on a horse, how many hooves are up means something. If the horse is rearing both front legs in the air, the rider died in battle. Mm -hmm. One front leg up means the rider was wounded in battle or died of battle wounds. And if all four hooves are on the ground, the rider died outside battle. Mm -hmm. In the United States, the rules especially held to apply to equestrian statues commemorating the American Civil War and the Battle of Gettysburg. There are at least nine instances where the rule does not hold for Gettysburg equestrian statues. <laughs> okay. Well, well, in this particular case, the rule holds because he did not die in battle. And he had all four hooves on the ground. He had all four hooves on the ground. And that's because, yes, indeed, he did, he did not die in battle. He was wounded in battle, but I guess he did not die of that wound, so... Yeah. Four hooves on the ground. Or it's one of the nine statues that breaks the code. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, I'm not going to give you like an overview of his life or anything, because who cares? But we're going <laughs> to we're gonna jump ahead to his career in the Civil War. Darn it. I didn't finish telling you why this even came up. So, okay. so like I was saying... Uh, I, I interrupted. I'm yeah, sorry. no, you're good. So I went up to the statue, because I was like, I didn't even know what general this is in front of the state house. And it said it was General Joseph Hooker. And immediately Next. my first reaction was, what? Why? Here? Why does he have a statue? I'm uh, confused as to why you were so indignant about him having a statue at all. Because, in my mind, he is one of, in a string, of terrible generals right. for the Union. That just, one after another, were bad at their job, and then eventually got fired. Yeah. Until, even though every last one of them had overwhelming numbers to deal with yeah. against the Confederacy... Until finally Lincoln settled on someone he liked, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that is why I reacted. I was like, why does this terrible general <laughs> have a statue in front of the state house? I want to see whether at the end of this, you're going to care that they gave him a statue. Yeah. Um, either because you think he might deserve it, or you'll think, why does he deserve it? Uh, he's appointed in 1861 as a brigadier general in the Union Army, which the, year, the war started in 1861. Thank and you. I don't know if that the was The Civil actually... War started in 1861? Thank know... you. Wow. I didn't know uh, if what that was year did it end? 1865. 1865? Oh, yes. thank you. Okay. Do you remember what year the Declaration of Independence was signed? I didn't. Okay. <laughs> Magna Carta? Any? Do you know that one? Uh, 1491? Spanish Armada? I don't know if that's true. Is that true? No, it's 1215. Fine. Spanish Armada was 1558. Oh, 1592 is Columbus. Because it rhymes in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. There we go. Wait, uh, listeners tweet at us or text us. I think everybody who's listening to the show still has one of our phone numbers. Did you know the dates to the Civil War? Am I being ridiculous? Because on the podcast I said, you didn't know Mel Gibson was in Pocahontas? And then I presented it to a table of our peers and they all went, what? Mel Gibson's in Pocahontas? And I was like, oh, I'm a jerk. You didn't tell me about no, that. And I wasn't going to. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm yeah. but, done interrupting. So again, yeah. Appointed in 1861, Brigadier General of the Union Army. Uh, and so he began uh, working under General George McClellan. Uh, and so early on, he distinguished himself as a like very aggressive commander. Very prone to just diving head forward into the enemy. And resulting in him eventually being promoted up to a major general. And he first distinguished himself at the Battle of Williamsburg in 1862. In that battle, they were chasing after a retreating Confederates, and the Confederates kind of set up a vanguard in fortified positions, and as the Union Army pursued them, Hooker just launched an attack at the front line and was repulsed because it was a reinforced fort. Uh, and so there's a pretty consistent thing that goes on throughout the war, at least through the first half of the war, of General Joseph Hooker just sort of, like, hurling his troops at... Because, again, just that seemed to be his main strategy was, I got these guys... Go against that heavily encamped position <laughs> and do your worst. Oh, they got repulsed. Darn it. You know, a little bit of that. And so that yeah. hap that definitely happened at Williamsburg. After Williamsburg, uh, he acquired the nickname Fighting Joe Hooker. Uh, nice! It was because of a clerical error, a newspaper typo. <laughs> the paper was supposed to be formatted with a hyphen between Fighting Joe to signify like a break or pause between the two words. Yeah. But instead, it just printed as Fighting Joe Hooker. And so then they were like, oh, sure, Fighting Joe Hooker. Everybody knows that's his nickname, but the nickname stuck. And Aww. so then he became known as Fighting Joe Hooker. That's and apparently, hilarious. Yeah, apparently he didn't like, because it's like, apparently it stuck because he was like this pretty abrasive character who was very aggressive in battle and also like had a reputation for having like a very like rambunctious and like heavy drinking sort of atmosphere around him. Got it. 
but he always felt like it was unfair, and so he was like pretty upset that the nickname stuck. I'm but that's sure just how it he was. was. Historians are, say it's unclear on whether he actually was a heavy drinker or not. It maybe was just reputation he had. But at some point, the troops apparently like made up a song that involved him heavily drinking, which I feel like doesn't happen unless it's a real thing. You know what I mean? Or he's such a straight edge that it's funny to make up a song about him drinking. That's also possible. That's a good point. Uh, as a commander, he as a corps commander, he led the initial attack at the Battle of Antietam in uh, 1862. The Battle of Antietam is actually, I think, still the bloodiest single combat day of combat in the United States, like military history on American soil. A total of 22,717 dead wounded or missing. More than Gettysburg? Yeah. Civil War sucked, man. The Civil War was awful. It was a situation where tactics had not yet caught up to weaponry. And so they were still using Napoleonic-era tactics, but rifles were significantly more accurate than they used to be. Mm-hmm. And so people were able to just mow down the opposing side. And so <laughs> When long. did they adapt? <clears throat> I mean, because it feels like World War One was the same thing. Did they catch up by World War Two, or is it just kind of lagging behind? I don't know if I know the answer to that. I think World War One definitely there was still lagging. World War One was trench warfare, right? Yeah. So it wasn't even like the same kind of war. Like no one even tried to move across the battle. They just sort of built their embankments, and then that just was the war. And yeah. they just sort of hurled each other at each other's embankments, but neither could break through. So I don't know. I guess I guess yeah. I guess they caught up somewhere around World War Two. But even World War Two, you still had the Russians using like mounted cavalry. So yeah. <laughs> That's Russia. I mean, yeah. They'd use that now. Putin oh. still rides shirtless through the <clears throat> streets or whatever. I mean, yeah, that's Putin for you, right? Yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah. We took on PETA last week. We're not no, going to take you. on Putin this week. I can't week. believe you said it. So, and then at Antietam, uh, although, it, it, like I said, bloodiest day in U.S. history, in, in the United States, like, military history, uh, in that battle, uh, Lee, the Confederate general, everybody knows, like, Lee, the masterful, you know, Confederate tactician, committed his entire force, but McClellan only sent in three less than three quarters of his army. And so as a result, Lee was able to, like, hold his own. And so, like as I've said before, and I'll probably say it again, because I'm sure we'll come back to the Civil War at some point, one of the, like, continuous traits of the Civil War when it comes to the early half and all of the Union generals as compared to the Confederate generals, the Union generals, even though they had, like, overwhelming force and probably, honestly, more of a mandate from the president to really push the issue, were cautious 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 while lee and stonewall and johnston were just running all over the place as confederates and making the gowns that they had to make because they had fewer resources fewer people but maybe more to lose so yeah at, at antietam that that happens where because mcclellan's so cautious and lee's not lee's able to stop to to fight to a standstill the main reaction of hooker from this battle is he gets knocked out early because a confederate sharpshooter spots his white horse because of course he was riding what a an white horse idiot. i mean you gotta you gotta i guess for status i don't know man, no that's right? dumb uh but so he's riding this white horse and the but this takes this tells you what time what time this is right because it's 1862 and he gets shot through the foot so he's he's out Ooh. out of the battle Ooh. out of the battle yeah not like not life-threatening but had to be carried away from the field. I mean, it could be life-threatening if it gets infected. <clears throat> then... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, they had to get him out of there, and they couldn't get him back. So, uh, and then this is a quote um, from Hooker about Antietam. Every stalk of corn in the northern and greater part of the field was cut as closely as could done with a knife, and the Confederates lay slain in rows precisely as they had stood in their ranks a few moments before. Mm-hmm. So just everybody got mowed down. Yeah. Um, and one of the other traits of Hooker was he was very prone to cutting down his superior officers, like, publicly in the press. Yeah. Like, bad mouth and make them look bad. And <clears throat> he maintained that the battle was going to be a decisive Union victory if only he'd managed to stay on the field. But instead, he what said, is- but instead, he said, McClellan's caution failed the troops. Yeah. This is that, uh, that Hamilton guy. Sounds uh, familiar. Started saying this to anybody who would uh-huh, listen. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It sounds very similar. And then next time at the Battle of Fredericksburg, now he's back in action, he commanded two corps divisions. And <sighs> Fredericksburg is another battle that the Union Army uh, just straight up lost. They suffered over three times as many casualties as the Confederates. And it's because essentially what happens is the Confederate Army is heavily uh, fortified in their encampment. And McClellan just hurls bodies after bodies. Actually, no, I think at this Actually, I think at this point McClellan's already been relieved of power. I think it's now Ambrose Burnside. Ah. Ambrose Burnside. I know that guy. Had sideburns. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one they're named after. 
I'm not actually. Is that true? Yeah. Dope. Well, yeah, and it makes sense because huge. I don't um, got anything except the history of facial hair. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, at, like I said, uh, those futile attacks suffered over 12,000 dead to the Confederacy's, like, 4,000. And a visitor to the battlefield described the battle as a butchery. Yeah. And then after this battle, Hooker, true to form, says uh, Burnside's plan to assault the heights behind the city were preposterous. And said to anybody who would listen. And so throughout this period, he really just continued to criticize his commanders. Uh, he called Burnside, that's the, the next, that, that's his commanding officer, a wretch of blundering sacrifice. Jeez. To the point that Burnside actually wrote President Lincoln to ask for Hooker's removal. Good. Uh, he wrote that Hooker was, quote, unfit to hold an important commission during a crisis like the present. But instead, <laughs> Lincoln's oh. patience had run out with Burnside and he puts Hooker in control of the entire army. Oh, no. Because Lincoln's like, look, man, he's aggressive. You're not. Which is like crazy because... I don't know if there's anything more aggressive than hurling, stupid, right? But aggressive yeah. to hurl your entire army up against the slopes over and over and just get destroyed. So, yeah. but so yeah, after Fredericksburg, um, Hooker is given control of the entire army of the Potomac. So this is now his time to shine. He spent the first what year and a half of the year and a half of the war talking about man, these guys in charge, they suck, they're trash, they're too cautious. I'm gonna turn the tables. I'm gonna get it right. Oh, um, no. So yeah, he's given control of the army. And he immediately, like, you know, starts about doing his thing. Uh, he was quoted by a New York Times correspondent saying that, quote, nothing would go right until we have a dictator, and the sooner the better. And so then Lincoln Lincoln writes back saying, after he appoints him as commander of the entire army, he, he writes back saying, I have heard, in such way as to believe it, of your recently <laughs> saying that both the army and the government need a dictator. Of course, it was not for this, but in spite of it, that I have given you the command. Only those generals who gain success can set up dictators. What I ask now of you is military success, and then I will risk the dictatorship. Lincoln is such... He's playing with him, right? Yeah, but also Lincoln was so hardcore. I mean, you know this. Lincoln was so hardcore, like, look, we need results. Yeah. I just... I need a general who can give me results. I've already gone through two who refused to do what I need them to do. They were extra cautious. They were worried about their political careers and not worried about winning the war. I need someone who's going to win the war. Yeah. You keep t you talk big game. You say you got this game behind you. You say you're ready to go. Uh, and so during the spring of 1863, he establishes a reputation as a big time, a really quality leader of the army, like an administrator. And this is a bunch of these reforms that restored the morale of the army, which apparently had plummeted to an all-time low under Burnside. Shocking, yeah. Which, yeah, shocking when he's just hurling them against the slopes of Fredericksburg. And then, again, he's quoted um, in the spring of 863, quote, I have the finest army on the planet. I have the finest army oh, the no. sun ever shone on. Oh, no. He goes on. No, 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 this no, is my favorite part. No, that sounds like. Oh, this is, it, this is the best part. Oh, I know what it sounds like. If the enemy does not run, God help them. May God have mercy on General Lee. For I will have none. Send tweet. <clears throat> Send tweet. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, One historian, so apparently part of his uh, instituting reforms, he requested, so apparently early on in the war, there was a general of the Union Army, not the leader of the Army, but there was some general in the Union Army who was um, arrested and court-martialed for failing in some earlier battle. Mm -hmm. And then once getting out of the court-martial, he was like just sort of disgraced politically and just refused. He requested that former general as his chief of staff. And he was denied this, but to this day, no one really knows why he asked for this. One historian who like wrote about Joe Hooker said, He laid schemes and calculations aside, and for one brief moment stood up as a straightforward soldier who would defy politics and politicians. It is a point to remember, because to speak up for that general took moral courage, a quality which Joe Hooker is rarely accused of possessing. Right? Jeez. Yeah, savage. And so, now that he's finally got this opportunity to stand up and say, he's talking all this noise, mm -hmm. he is promptly faced with Lee at the Battle of Chancellorsville. Would you like to take a guess how that turns out? Uh, not well for the Union. It doesn't turn out well for the well, Union. Because I know Hooker isn't the general at the end of the war. So. He certainly is not. Yeah. So Hooker had a plan for the spring. He was going to... So Hooker's plan at Chancellorsville, he had a whole thing set up. Uh, he was going to send his cavalry deep behind enemy lines, uh, way behind their defenses, and disrupt all of their supply lines, and that way he was hoping that that would distract them from the main attack. And then he was going to pin down the rest of Lee's army at Fredericksburg while taking the rest, like, taking the most of his army on a flanking motion to 
get him again from the other side, right? Yeah, I wonder how much this will come across. We should have videotaped you doing those motions. David is doing full-on <laughs> full battle like, arms, like flight battle. attendant. <laughs> it's so bad because I'm like visualizing, I'm trying to like visualize what's happening. Yeah, flanking maneuver though, right? So that's where you go around the edge, you try to get as far around the edge of the army as you can and come at them from behind to sneak attack is the I idea, just, right? I saw that twice yeah. in a movie last weekend. Exactly. So And so that's the idea, right? Then the hope was if he did that, you know, get Lee from the front, use the flanking maneuver to get him from behind, and then after Lee's defeated, he can move on to take Richmond, the Confederate capital, in the war, right? And that's how it goes, right? That's his plan. That's his plan. Here's the thing. Um, unfortunately, the plan just did not match what he had hoped. Uh, the cavalry raid was conducted really cautiously by mm -hmm. its original commander, and it met none of its objectives. <laughs> that just wasn't helpful. Didn't distract anybody. They just sort of let them roll around in the back. They're like, okay, well, the Union horses are back there somewhere. We don't really know why, but that's fine. Um, the flanking march was able to achieve surprise, but when he tried to attack with the bulk of his columns, uh, Stonewall Jackson did a surprise counterattack. Mm. And, man, Stonewall Jackson. I could talk all day about Stonewall Jackson. That guy, it's pretty apparent. It sounds like he was just one of the singularly most charismatic like military leaders we've ever seen on this yeah. continent which Didn't is like he very interesting die by friendly fire yeah he really did and so that when when stonewall jackson counterattacked, even though he still had superior number of troops guess what suddenly super confident joe hooker wasn't so confident and just like drew all the way back and Why? basically went back to a defensive position this allowed lee like hooker's thing at that point I guess he just got spooked. And he was like, at that point, he was like, I guess I'm just going to go back and sit at Chancellorsville and not do anything. I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay here and just, it just, just, just hang out. Because, How is that? What a dummy. You know, I'm, I'm being honest. I think that's legit what happened where he's like, you know, defense position. Here's one extra piece of uh, Chancellorville. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, part of Hooker's failure probably had to do with the fact that pretty sure he had a concussion. What? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, early, like, part partway through the battle, while standing on the porch of his headquarters, a cannonball came in and struck a wooden column that he was leaning against. And so he fell over, like, momentarily senseless. <laughs> and so he had a concussion. But then, when he, like, came to, though he was concussed, and all of his subordinates was like, dog, you're concussed. You can't do this. Like, your your brain's rattling around in your skull. You clearly are seeing 12 of us, and there's only three of us. We're pretty sure you should put, put give this to your second-in-command. Uh, and he's like, no, I have this. I'm going to keep going. Pull back. <laughs> no more. Fire the bubbles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and so I think that honestly probably was part of the reason why um, he made the decisions that he made. Uh, mm -hmm. And in fact, apparently this this his subordinate, his second in command, was so disgusted by Hooker's refusal to like stand down in this moment of clear need that he refused to ever serve under him again. Um, May I be allowed one moment of reaction? Yes. Men. That seems fine. Okay, yeah, thanks. That's fine. But this is also when Lee, while Hooker is having his greatest moment of absolute incompetence, this is when Lee has perhaps his greatest moment of brilliance. Lee, even though his army is significantly smaller, makes the ris super risky gamble to basically do what Hooker wanted to do to him. He splits his small army into two sets and attacks from two sides to deal with both parts of Hooker's army just at the same time with smaller forces. Mm -hmm. um, and then rather than counterattack, uh, the, whole, the whole Union army just drops back into a super defensive mode, takes, takes some losses, and then retreats. Uh, and so Chancellorville is actually often called Lee's perfect battle yeah. because he managed to beat a much larger army with really like clever tactics, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so the, Hooker just becomes another in a line of Union generals that fall before the brilliance of Robert E. Lee, yeah. but also fall before their own incompetence and political fear and... Um, there's no better word than incompetence, concussion. is there? Yeah. Concussion. Yeah, had a concussion and then refused to yield command because he didn't want to yeah. risk like losing the glory. Yeah. Uh, and so, and the loss at Chancellorsville allowed Lee to make his grand play of the war, which was to invade the North, and that's how we get to Gettysburg. And so, and so, after Chancellorsville, Hooker, still in command of the army, somehow, 
basically loses Lee's army. Lee like takes his army up into the Shenandoah Valley and is heading north, but they're like, we don't we don't know where he is. So Lincoln's like, go go find him. <laughs> what? what? Find him. And so as Hooker's like, all right, I'm going to go find him. So Hooker starts moving the army north, but he only gets a little ways. And Lincoln's like, you know what? Never mind. I don't I don't think I can trust you to do this. Like, we, we may have to do something about you. And, so back, this, and this is what happens. So Hooker says, all right, I'm going to go find him. And, and Lincoln's like, I don't know if you can handle this. And Hooker says, well, you know what? Just to be safe, you got to send me some more troops up from Harper's Ferry to the army so that I'm reinforced. Because I don't know where he is. We're going to find him. And Lincoln's like, yeah, I don't think we're going to do that. I think we need those troops in Harper's Ferry. And Hooker's like... Apparently, he got really dramatic, and he was like, um, if you don't send me those troops, I will resign right now. Oh, no. And he, and he was doing it as, like, a, you know, a political play, and Lincoln's yeah. like, yeah, that sounds good. That oh, sounds actually, good. perfect. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, that sounds wonderful. I think we're going to do that starting right now. So, um, yeah, feel free to resign. Uh, and so, um, his tenure as leader of the Army of the Potomac lasted five months. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, just to be honest and be fair and wrap this up, he actually went on to solid service in the rest of the war. Because he honestly, it kind of sounds like he was actually a pretty good soldier. Yeah. Um, really kind of understood the, the, the difficulties of war and, like, what it would require sometimes. Yeah. It just sounds like maybe he wasn't supposed to be in charge, especially fighting against someone who apparently was much, much better and smarter than him, as yeah. in Robert E. Lee. But he actually went on to solid service, serving under Grant and Sherman in the Western Theater of the War, so in the Army of the Cumberland, the Army of the Tennessee. But, you know, he still kind of went back to his old ways. After the Battle of Atlanta in 1864, uh, he resigned his command because he was mad that someone else got promoted to be commander of the Army of Tennessee over him. Here's the thing. So he had one valid point in that. Uh, he technically, I think, outranked the guy who got promoted over him. So it does sure. kind of. So he's, it does, he's worse. But it does kind of seem like it was kind of intentional. But it also seems like he was the Man. guy. It also seems like he was kind of the guy to make enemies, like in the army. Does like it? Other, yeah, like other, does it? Yeah, like other generals, both above and below him, were yeah. like, "Hold on, it screw this guy, like that. right?" Yeah. So I think he got. I think he got passed over because they didn't like him. And you know what? That's tough cookies, man. If you're someone who nobody likes, it might be hard to get people to help you when they don't like you, right? Yeah. Um, the other piece of it, so one was he technically outranked the guy. Two, apparently this other general, you know, going all the way back, this general was the one who was commanding the branch of the army at Chancellorsville that Stonewall Jackson smashed. Uh, so he, like, still blamed that guy for his loss at Chancellorsville. Yeah. So it's, like, double reasons why he wouldn't even tolerate it. So he was like, I resign. Apparently he was big. He was like, I resign, I post. Yeah. And so he went on to, like, be commander of, you know, I think it was, like, the army in Ohio How does or he something. keep getting jobs? Well, it sounds like he's, I mean, he was a major general. Like, it sounds like he apparently was, like, mattered mm, and stuff. Sounds but, like he failed up. But here's the thing. if he if he If he ends the war as, like, administrative commander of, like, Ohio... He's not in the war, right? Yeah, I guess. Like they, like he, he definitely got put out to pastoral down, right? Yeah. And so like, he goes on to serve yada yada after the war. But so that's really kind of where we wanted right to go fielder, at. Yeah, yeah it's kind of where we wanted to get at. So that gives you like basically what I wanted to say about Joe Hooker, which was you know not awful, but definitely did not seem to me like someone that I thought deserved to be the only like it wasn't even like he was one of a bunch he was the like the statue like you know of all the generals that we want we want to have this guy and after reading a little more about it i feel like it's because like the statue was put up in 1903 it's like so the last major war before that would have been the civil war and he was like i guess the most massachusetts of like the union generals yeah. right so that's why you want to do it. he was born in massachusetts he's a massachusetts guy yeah but also i was like what why is he why is he in a statue he was bad he was in charge for five months, and there were five bad months. And then he just, like, he was, like, knifing people all the way up and down. And he talked this huge game and talked about how, like, you know, I would have no mercy on General Lee. And then he just got pummeled at Chancellorsville because he had a concussion and wouldn't give up command. I was like, you, how's this guy? I was so mad. Um, I'm picturing you, like, going up to the <clears throat> statue and looking up at it, and that whole story flashes before your eyes. And you're like, come on! Yeah, 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 that's exactly what happened. That's funny. And I think I literally was like, what? Are you kidding me? And they were like... I'm sorry, David, are you mad right now at this statue in front of a place that you've never been before? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because look who it is. And I'm like, we don't know who this is. But yeah. So that's kind of where I was. That's how I felt. It me. Um, I have one little bonus piece for you about uh, the Hooker statue. Shoot. Um, so in addition to there being a statue of uh, General Joe Hooker, mm -hmm. one of the entrances to the state house over it reads... General Hooker entrance, and apparently it's a thing that, you know, a lot of kids laugh about and make fun of, but as of this spring, one of the state legislators, and actually it got kind of hard for me to find the information I needed because this took precedence, there's a state legislator in the Massachusetts State House 
who wants to do something about the men. Because she says, to have the words General Hooker entrance over the entrance of the state house yeah. is um, like degrading and triggering to women. And so apparently oh. they're like having that debate now. And so um, that's just like an extra little bonus point about why you should care. She, uh, she, she has claimed the name is, quote, tone deaf and patriarchal. And should either be renamed to include his first name, so it should be the General Joseph Hooker entrance, yeah. or it should be renamed to like someone else's name, or it should just be taken down completely and just say, okay, we don't need to have a name for the it's entrance. The West so, entrance, or yeah. Right. yeah. So apparently, that's like now a debate that's happening in Massachusetts. So it must be so nice to live in Massachusetts, where that's what your state legislature is doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, the name of the entrance to this building is yeah. offensive. Like, oh, well, ours tacked on a couple of weeks so that they could go after sanctuary cities. But that sounds nice, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Must be, must be nice. Must be nice. So yeah. I'm done. I ask you, do you care that Joseph, General Joseph Hooker, has a statue outside the Massachusetts State House? More than twenty percent. It makes me mad, but only <laughs> because I feel like he's he fails up. Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys who's like, at like. Yeah. I don't understand how guys who are nice to no one and seem to be brilliant but screw up all the time get promoted. I, it makes no sense to me. I will never understand it. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, his failures are definitely mixed in with successes. Like, sure. there, there's a definite reason why he was able to get where he got. Like, he, like in, in between all these battles, he actually won quite a number of battles. But just, like, the combination of him failing so spectacularly... And talking such a big game. Yeah. And pretty clearly being a huge jerk, right? Yeah. It's just like, so, yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Couldn't agree more. All right. So that's my piece. It's good. All right. It's me now. Yeah, it is. It took me forever to think of what I was going to do this week. Uh, Tell me why. Why did that take you so long? What was the problem? We talked about it a little earlier today, but I... Haven't talked about movies yet, mm-hmm. even though that's like the main thing that I rant about. Right. Um, because I feel like if you haven't seen a movie, it's hard to talk about them. It's hard to make somebody care about a movie that they haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you have seen a movie, you either liked it or you didn't like it, and it would be hard for me to convince you that it was good or bad. Yeah. And also, I'm trying to move away from talking about like movies, TV shows, whatever, mm-hmm. as good or bad. And I'm trying to talk about them as I liked it or I didn't like it. Because mm-hmm. I think some, like, obviously some works of fiction are inherently damaging and bad. Like, yeah. there are some movies yeah. that should not exist because they are bad for people. Like, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of it. The original D.W. Griffith Birth of a Nation. That is a horrible movie. I don't know it what is that is. A 1912, uh-huh. I think. It's a very early movie mm-hmm. that is just like racism in a film. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, whoa, this is amazing. Film can really communicate. And we had to watch it in our film class in college. And it was so scarring and so awful. And that is objectively a bad movie because it is bad for people. Because yeah. its existence hurts people. I feel a similar way in a, a much smaller scale about Kingsman 2. I am still... And always will be very upset. I think that movie is bad because I think it is very damaging to women. And not in a way that the first one was. And people are like, oh, what about the end of the first one? No, that was supposed to be a joke. And it feels like the second one shows that it wasn't actually a joke. And everybody who worked on that movie is a chauvinist. But that's not true. Probably going to cut all this out because I love Taron Edgerton. And would love for him to call me if he ever gets a chance. So some movies are bad because they're bad for people. But I think, like, Freaky Friday is perfect to me. Mm -hmm. It does exactly what it sets out to do. Is it a capital G good movie? I don't know, but I like it a lot. And if somebody was like, Freaky Friday's a bad movie, like, you can't minimize what it is to me because I love it and it means something to me. So don't come up in here telling, no, this movie's bad, this movie's good, that movie's trash. Whatever. You didn't like it. Doesn't mean I wouldn't like it. I mean, hearing this, it feels very much to me like you have come across to my school of thought on the matter, which is amazing, and I'm doing finger steeples now. But I still think that, if anything, even just this short blurb suggested that you should probably still try and do some of your movie stuff to me here, because 
I think it'll be pretty entertaining, if only to find out if we care about the same things in a movie. Yeah. Well, because, great news. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you about a movie. Oh, so your whole preface about you don't want to talk about movies ends with, so let me talk to you about a movie now? Kind of. Okay. <laughs> this is All right. only related to a movie and also related to a book. Mm-hmm. My statement is, the woman who adapted Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility for the screen kept an onset diary. Do mm-hmm. you care? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, His know, face I mean, is so bad right now. No, I'm thinking about it. I mean, I don't care about it until you get to the part where you say onset diary, just because I'm kind of always going to be inherently at least a little interested in behind the scenes look at things. Okay. So I'm kind of interested. Uh, I, I'm like... I'm I'm, in, I'm definitely interested in hearing more about it. That's okay. for sure. This okay. is definitely not one of those that I'm dismissing out of hand. I don't know if I've ever read a Jane Austen book. I was going to ask, what is your familiarity with Jane Austen? Have you read a book? Have you seen a movie? I don't know. Talk to me about them, okay. and I'll tell you if I have seen or heard of them. Because I my, my gut says no, but I think it is more than a little possible that I have read one of the books, or seen one of the movies, and just didn't connect with me that that's what I was reading or watching. You have definitely, in your life, seen some sort of Jane Austen adaptation, because she has been adapted probably second only to, like, Agatha Christie and Shakespeare. Okay. Um, There are seven Jane Austen novels. I have only read three of them, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think these are the most popular three. There's Pride and Prejudice, obviously. Mm -hmm. There's Emma, Mm -hmm. and there is Sense and Sensibility. So I don't believe I've read any of these. I have seen at least one Pride and Prejudice adaptation. Which one? Bride and Prejudice. <gasps> I love that movie. Yeah, that it's the fantastic. Bollywood version. Yeah, that Do you know who fantastic. was supposed to star in that movie? No. Brad Pitt. You're No, Brad Pitt was attached for a really long time and then he had to drop out and he was really upset about it. You're not it. serious. I'm so serious. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Which Bradley role? Pitts. Darcy. Oh my gosh, I would have loved it. It would have been so good. That would have been so good. The guy they what? Got is That's pretty, unfair. But oh, but oh man, Brad Pitt would have been so fun in that. Brad Pitt is so fun. Oh, that would have been amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, so upsetting. So. Oh well. Of the big three, Pride and Prejudice has been like ingrained in in me since the 2005 movie came out, and then read the book, and I, ugh, it's so good. I, it is as relevant today as it was back in the day mm-hmm. when she wrote it. Uh, Emma is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Jane Austen set out to write Emma by saying, I think I'm writing a protagonist whom no one, no one but myself will very much like. And Emma is me. I knew you were going to say that. We okay. are the same. Uh-huh. She's such a, like, ENFP meddler. Like, mm-hmm. she's, like, all out of the goodness of her heart. She's very oblivious. She gets very tunnel vision about things and doesn't see at all. Emma is also clueless. The 90s movie. Mm-mm. Nothing? I, I know of the movie. Haven't seen it. Okay. I don't think. Yeah. Maybe. I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't think you've seen it, but it is <laughs> delightful, and I think you'd think it was funny. <laughs> Probably. Um, I think I've heard good things oh about God. it. Oh, God. Paul Rudd is in it, and he's so young, and you love... he's so cute. Do you like some Paul Rudd? I do like me some yeah. Paul Rudd. I meant me, but sure. Yes. You also. I do, too. You like, you like Paul Rudd more, I think. And then there's Sense and Sensibility. Mm-hmm. The woman... Who adapted Sense and Sensibility for the screen is Emma Thompson. That name is familiar. That name is familiar. Emma Thompson is Meryl Streep for people who don't have it together. She is the most... Oh, yes. Okay. Hang on. Listeners, if there's one thing you're going to have to get used to on this podcast, it's going to be Emily saying the name of a famous person and then me having absolutely no recognition of that person. This is Emma Thompson. This is Emma Thompson at the Golden Globes. <laughs> the Golden Globes are notoriously like the drunk little brother of the Oscars. Like they have alcohol. Everybody there is wasted by the end of the night. And Emma Thompson went up on stage with dress. her red bottom shoes in her hands. She has a martini glass. She threw her shoes over her shoulder mm-hmm. at one point and is just like reading the teleprompter. Doesn't care. She's always like this at awards shows. Uh-huh. She is wonderful. She wrote and starred in Nanny McPhee. She is in... Have you seen Treasure Planet? No. No, okay. She's (laughs) like like a cat person in the... I can't explain Treasure Planet. It's like a cartoon, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I watched it two nights ago. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else you would have seen Emma Thompson in. So what we're going to do is go to her IMDb page 
and we're going to find something. We're going to try to find something. Love Actually. Have you seen it? Mm, Love maybe. Actually, it's a bunch of British people. Nope. Uh, but I know I should have seen that one. Saving Mr. Banks. No. She's the woman who wrote Mary Poppins and Tom Hanks as Walt Disney. I have not seen that. Beauty and the Beast, the most recent adaptation. Like the newest one? Yeah. Didn't see it. <laughs> Everybody in America saw that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see it. I didn't see that one. This is amazing. Nope. Brave. Uh, That's the Disney thing, the girl with the red hair. Mm-hmm. Saw that one and loved that one. Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. she's the mom. Okay, okay, I'm with you now. I love that Men movie. Men in Black 3? Yes. She is, oh, the agent in charge, the female agent in charge. Don't remember, but yeah, okay. Here we go. Harry Potter. You have seen a Harry Potter movie, right? No. David, you've never seen a Harry Potter movie? Are you serious? You talk about Harry Potter all the time. We have had long discussions about Ron in the movies versus Ron in the books. You haven't seen? We have not. I've told you when you bring it up that I can't weigh in on the movies. I have read the books. Have not seen the movies. You haven't seen not even one I, of them. I no, I have not seen the movies. So I got caught up on the books very late, and so I didn't watch the movies because I don't watch movies adapted from books without having read the books first. And I hadn't read the books, so I didn't read. The, I didn't read the books or watch the movies. Then I read the, all of the books over the course of I don't know, like a two week span, just to like blow through them and then like get them in my head and like read them. So I know all of it. I know all of that. But that was when I was like in college already. So like I haven't like gone back to watch the movies ever. So, no, I have not seen any of the movies. Okay. She's ever. Trelawney in the movies. Oh, that's that's a good Trelawney. She's a great Trelawney. That's a really good Trelawney. Anyway, Emma Thompson is one of my favorite people in Hollywood. She's in a movie with Mindy Kaling that's coming out about mm-hmm. like her being a late night talk show host. And Mindy mm-hmm. Kaling's her protege, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she won the Golden Globe for adapting this screenplay. Okay. Um, And... I don't have a whole lot to talk about. I wanted to talk about Jane Austen in some context, and this just came to me in a flash of light. For sure. Her onset diaries are the most delightful things in the whole world. These are Emma Thompson's. Emma Thompson's. Okay. Mm-hmm. She goes, she talks about, she writes from adapting the screenplay, casting, and all the way through the last day of shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, David pointed to the post-it note that I have in this book to mark my page, which is actually a little Mr. Darcy post-it note. Yeah, <laughs> He's in the wrong book. So I'm not going to spell out Sense and Sensibility for you. I am not that familiar with it. Uh, the cast is Emma Thompson plays the older sister. Mm-hmm. Kate Winslet plays her younger sister. Mm-hmm. And Kate Winslet was 19 at the time. This was mm-hmm. like... Either pre or just post Titanic. Mm-hmm. This is around Titanic times. Okay. And uh, Hugh Grant was mm-hmm. like the biggest movie star in the world at the time, and he plays yeah, he Emma Thompson's romantic lead. And Alan Rickman. Yeah. You know Alan Rickman. Yes. Even though you've never seen a Harry Potter movie. But I know Alan Rickman. I've seen him other stuff. I know he plays Snape. I've seen excerpts of the movies. Because they're always on marathons on TV, so I can catch like five minutes at a time. This is when such a blind channels. spot. Alan Rickman plays Kate Winslet's love interest, which mm. there's kind of an age gap, but whatever. What else is Alan Rickman in? I've seen him in other stuff. He's something else. Die Hard. Uh, he's Hans Gruber. Die Hard. Yes, yes. he's in Die Hard. I feel and like I've seen Alexander him else too, wept though, for there were no more worlds yeah. left to conquer. <laughs> Mr. McLean. Okay, we're gonna do the thing we did for Alan Rickman that we just did for Emma Thompson, and it okay. won't be hard because uh, we cannot be IMDbing. Like people well, don't I'm have people don't a... people don't have to know that I've only seen seven movies I'll in my life. I'll cut lifetime, a bunch okay? of this out if you will just be calm. I am calm. You're not calm. I am calm. I'm always calm. Here he is. Ugh. I am calm like the ocean uh, at low tide. Galaxy Quest. Did you? That sounds Wait, familiar. Wait, I've made you watch Galaxy Quest, right? That Tim Allen right. and Sigourney Weaver. It's they're like the cast of a Star Trek style TV show, and then they get wrapped up in an actual alien adventure. I don't know if I you made me watch that. This is one of my top ten favorite movies, easy top five, depending on the day. Maybe you're supposed to make me watch that. You then. will really enjoy. Okay. Uh, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. I didn't see those. He's in Allison. He's in Sweeney Todd. No. You know I didn't watch Harry that. Harry Potter. Love Actually. Harry Potter. <laughs> Galaxy Quest. It's all the same movies. Sense Sensibility. Harry Potter? <sighs> Die Hard? Yeah, I saw that. You've only seen him in Die Hard. Doggone it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
fine, man. I don't watch movies, bro. Anyway, Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson were lifetime friends, and uh, they played together in a lot of movies, and Mm -hmm. she wrote a very, very lovely tribute to him when he died. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm just going to give you some snippets from this lovely adaptation. I think this is great because I think it talks about, like, Emma Thompson, the whole move, the whole journal, she's worried about her appearance. She's worried she's not pretty enough to, like, lead this movie. They only cast her because she wrote it. Blah, blah, blah. I think she's absolutely gorgeous. She's it's directed wrong. by Ang Lee, who did uh, The Life of Pi. He did the Hulk movie that nobody saw. That's the saw. movie with the kid and the tiger. Kid and the tiger. Uh, he did Brokeback Mountain. He does all these, like, visually stunning Oscar movies. So this is Emma Thompson talking about finding activities for her and Kate Winslet's characters to do. Mm -hmm. James asked yet again what physical activities could be found for Eleanor and Marianne. Painting, sewing, embroidering, writing letters, pressing leaves. It's all depressingly girly. (laughs) Chin-ups, I suggest, but promise to think further. (laughs) (laughs) So she's going into this novel ready to joke. Uh, she's also looking for good visuals because Jane uh-huh. Austen novels don't always d- the directors of these movies often have to like create the sweeping visuals on their own Jane Austen's novels are very people based mm-hmm. the ones that I've read mm-hmm. I have a notion that it might be nice to see Colonel Brandon that's Alan Rickman's character tickling trout something to draw Marianne to him tickling trout is a mysterious old country method of catching trout you tickle their tummies, and when they're relaxed, you whip them out of the water. I ask Lori if it's possible to get trained fish. Lindsay says, this is how we know I've never produced a movie. So here's what I'm confused by. If you're close enough to tickle its tummy, why can't you just grab it before it's relaxed? I don't know. <laughs> That's my first thought. They're like, tickle its tummy, and then once it relaxes, grab it. I'm like, wait, if, it, if I'm tickling its tummy, can't I just... Yeah. But uh, it's apparently not possible to get fish that are trained that way for this movie. I mean, I don't know fish, man. They're not that smart. No. They're casting the movie. And this one, this is one of my favorite segments. There's mm-hmm. a character named Fanny who's awful. Mm. She's just like... I think I knew that. Yeah. Continue. Okay. Uh, they're casting. The casting process begins. We start with Fanny. Everyone we see captures perfectly the balance of wifely concern and vicious self-interest. Aang says at the end of one day, this is a nation of fannies. It rings horribly true. (laughs) That's really funny. so fun. That's really funny. It's like, how are we ever going to pick one? They're all her. (laughs) Can everyone in England act? He asks after a particularly engaging afternoon. Lindsay and I think about this one for quite some time before deciding that probably the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, Wait, she's so great. She's so great. She's cast Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant breezes in after last night's premiere of An Awfully Big Adventure in Timberland boots and specs, a blue shirt. Repellently gorgeous. Why did we cast him? He's so much prettier than I am. Timberlands? Yeah. He's out here wearing... I had no idea Hugh Grant had it like that, but okay, yeah. <laughs> I love that that's a reaction. Girl, come on. Hugh Grant what? rolls up and says, The moral of filmmaking in Britain is that you will be effed by the weather. I mean, that's life. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. My first director's note, parentheses, criticism, from Aang. Very dull. Bit of a blow. Then, don't look so old. Which didn't help. What? But we've started. Why would you tell anybody that? The great thing about these diaries is that Ang Lee seems to be a very imprecise director. Uh-huh. He tells Alan Rickman at one point, do better. Helpful. Yeah, very helpful. What the heck are you supposed to do when someone tells you, hey, look less old? And Emma Thompson okay. says, any film will take two to three weeks to get into its stride. Some never do. I think the key is good communication. <laughs> she says, put pajamas into laundry after only a week's wear and felt profligate. What a uh, word. 6 a.m. We continue the scene. It's Hugh's close-up. After several takes, Aang said to Hugh, Now do it like a bad actor. Hugh said, That was the one I just did. <laughs> He's like, No, no, that was it. Everyone hauling their way through the day. Kissing Hugh was very lovely. Glad I invented it. Can't rely on... <laughs> Can't rely on Austin for a snog, that's for sure. We shoot the scene on a humpbacked bridge. Two swans float into shot as if on cue. Everyone coos. Get rid of them, says Aang. Too romantic. <laughs> Wait, why is it bad for to be romantic? I don't know. I think it's wonderful <laughs> that two swans floated into frame and the director was like, no, can't do it. Too romantic. 
Now on horses, which is a bugger, sheep and all, very bullshy period sheep with horns and perms and too much wool. If they fall over, they can't get up. Someone has to help them. Can't be right. Ang wants sheep in every exterior shot and dogs in every interior shot. I've suggested we have sheep in some of the interiors as well. Impossible. Ang, after a particularly trying time with our flock, parentheses very quiet, no more sheeps. Never again, sheeps. <laughs> sheeps. That's amazing. That's great. I really enjoyed like like this is the piece that I thought I would enjoy, which is I just enjoy this behind mm-hmm. the scenes look at just this honest stuff of what people are saying. Yes. Hugh, Hugh Grant has finished. He appears on set looking completely out of place in his boots and the shirt he was wearing on the first day of rehearsals. I'll miss you, I say weepily. No, you won't, he says. He's quite right, of course, but there's no time for all of that. <laughs> Yo, this... Hugh Grant sounds like such a baller. Gidley Park Hotel, here for a weekend off. Walked to Dartmoor among black-faced lambs and foals, climbed to the top of a large rock, and met a small boy. Me. Hello. Boy. Hello. This is a good place, isn't it? Boy. Yes. Me. If it weren't hazy, we could see for miles. Boy. On a clear day, you can see way over to South Devon. Pause. That's something you can't buy. At which point I expected him to sprout wings and ascend to heaven. <laughs> I'm right there with her. Oh, she sounds so fun. I She's be so fun. Overheard later. Kate Winslet. Oh, God, my knickers have gone up my arse. Alan Rickman. Ah, feminine mystique strikes again. <laughs> Noon. Finish scene with Alan. Me. Oh, I've just ovulated. Alan. Long pause. Thank you for that. Kate Winslet got injured 47 times because a big part of her character is being in the rain a lot. Uh-huh. So she is in the rain Does a she lot. slip a lot? Well, she <coughs> is also, like, catching cold and things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Kate Kate came down stone... She'd hurt her leg. Kate came down stone stairs very carefully in order to protect her leg, slipped and hurt her wrist. She's at the hospital now having an x-ray. Frankly, I'm not expecting her to survive the night. <laughs> Kate is back. It is just a sprain bandages everywhere (laughs) she writes lovely things like this all throughout it is totally wonderful and my favorite bit Mm -hmm. is about the screenplay itself slept like the dead seared mouth on very hot porridge at breakfast with Lindsay. we discussed the novelization question this is where the studio pays someone to novelize my script and sell it as sense and sensibility i've said if this happens i will hang myself revolting notion beyond revolting because they wanted to take her script of sense and sensibility turn it into a novel and sell it as jane austen's sense and sensibility adapted by emma thompson there is already a book there was already the book it is it's called the book sense it's called sensibility. yes Lindsay had said that the executive she had discussed it with had said, as a human being, I agree with you, but I laughed until my porridge was cool enough to swallow. <laughs> yeah, you've lost, you've lost the argument, right? I just think that it is, these are just brief excerpts. I didn't really have anything big this week. I love Emma Thompson. Mm-hmm. I think it's delightful to hear people doing their thing, and Hollywood is full of monsters. <laughs> But Emma Thompson's not one of them. Hugh Grant definitely is. There's some other stuff I'll tell you off, Mike. Fair enough. Yeah. I kind of like I was like, that's fun. Yeah. Well, you like him because he's wearing Timberlands. I mean, I did like that scene. Yes. Yeah. I was like, this guy's yeah. like, wearing Timberlands. Yeah. What is this, like 1990s? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm asking for a low bar here. Do you care more about that than you did before? I, after hearing about this, am into Emma Thompson. Like, I'm I'm an Emma Thompson supporter. Perfect. And, like, I'm like, oh, I want to be her friend. Yeah. Which I feel like has to be further along that train than I was before. Yeah. Great. So, That's um, what I'll take. Yeah. I'm here for it. Excellent. That sounds great. I love behind-the-scenes looks. Me too. David, what's the thing you didn't care about this Federal week? Federal court jurisdiction. Okay? <laughs> Federal court's jurisdiction. You don't care. I I don't. I not don't this care. week. I don't which care. is, you know, I have the exam next week, so I have to care by then. Yeah. But I've been trying to care about federal court jurisdiction for the past week, and it is not going well. Not going well. Yeah, I totally understand that because of our system, there are cases that the federal courts can take and cases the federal courts can't, and sometimes it's because of Article Three of the Constitution, sometimes it's because of grabbed by Congress, sometimes it's because of expressio unis, but you know what? Yeah. This week, I really don't care at the moment about federal court 
jurisdiction. That's fair. And viewers, welcome to, listeners, whatever, welcome to finals week. Because, you know yeah. what? Federal court jurisdiction is what I have to care about right now, and I am not happy about it, but I only have to care about it for another week. And then I won't care about it anymore. Until, of course, I'm a litigator in federal court, and then I will care about it quite a bit, which is the whole reason why I took the class in the first place. So, yeah, that's my answer. Whew. Oh, that felt good. <laughs> good. I'm glad. You look yeah. like you got a weight off your shoulders. A little bit. Yeah. How about you? What did you care or not care about this week? It's all Infinity War to me. <laughs> Spent 10 years watching Marvel movies. Yeah. I don't have any... I hate when people say, I don't have bandwidth for that, because that's not really what that means. What you really mean is you don't have hard drive space for that. Because bandwidth, isn't that like the streaming? I think it's streaming speed, right? Something to do with that. (coughs) Listeners, weigh in. But I just, I care so much about half the people in Infinity War, and I don't care, aggressively don't care about half the people in Infinity War, Mm -hmm. and they seemed to give a lot of time to the ones I aggressively don't care about, and not so much time to the ones I aggressively care about, Mm -hmm. for the most part. So the next movie had better just be the ones I care about. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I'll be rooting for you. Good luck. I, 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 I wish I could kick you in the chest. What? I'm serious. Yeah, but you're also leaning back a little bit in your chair, so I feel like it would be very sparta First of all, you would kick, and you would just kick yourself you backwards the onto the floor. Have you seen the movie 300? No, I have not seen the movie 300. You know I haven't seen the movie 300. No. Why would you Alan ask? Rickman and Emma Thompson are in it. I don't think they are. They are. But I wouldn't know if they were. Yeah, he cheats on her. Does he? Yeah. I didn't know that. No, you're pushing me back. Yeah, I told you that's exactly what was going to happen. <laughs> uh, this is probably not fun for the listener. <laughs> Yeah, I also didn't care about Infinity War, but for a different reason, just where I feel like it's like, no spoilers. Yeah. I just feel like, I guess, I I, I won't feel anything until I get to the second half. Yeah, you know what I mean. fair. So, I felt everything. Yeah. I burst into tears in a battle scene, because how much more does my sweet Bucky have to take? Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, that's it. This, is, this has been Care for Free. It has been Care for Free. Hopefully you cared a little bit, or you didn't care, but you know, we're always trying. Until next time. Until next time. We will see you guys. Next time. We out. (laughs) Peace. Bruh, we out. Bruh, we out. That's the one they liked. Let's do that one. We out. Peace. Why do you have to say the last thing? (laughs) What's wrong with you?